So excited to be with you all this morning and to share a series that we have been in since September on the paradoxes. This one is about Judas, about the God who determines our free will. As we were just reading this, and as James so eloquently read, it's baffling to hear about Jesus saying this prayer, praying to his Father about the ones that he has kept, for God has chosen them. Then he says, except the one that was doomed to destruction as the scriptures foretold. With Judas, we run into this conundrum that this man, out of all men ever created, was doomed to betray Jesus. If you let that roll around in your mind, and if you've grown up in church like I have, there seems to have been no choice that Judas, Judas could have made that would allow the outcome to be different. If you think about it in those terms, that's sad. To see a little innocent baby born out of the womb, wah, wah, wah. And for someone to prophesy, you're doomed. <laughs> you're cute now, but you're done later. Did Judas have a choice? The question that rolls around in my mind with this paradox is, why would God choose to give us a choice. My answer to that question is very simple. Uh, if it were me and I were God, you wouldn't have a choice but to serve me. Because uh, things that I make, I kind of want them to go my way. When I make a sandwich, I want it to go my way. If I plan a surprise party, I kind of want it to go my way. So when you think about the creator of the universe scooping up dust from the ground, blowing into it so man can become a living soul, why would he give that person a choice? Because it's not true love unless you can choose. He'd be a dictator if we're arranged any other way. Judas stands in the annals of time as this guy that betrays Jesus. And as betrayals go, he's not the first. As disobedience goes, he's not the first. We wouldn't have to get all the way to the New Testament to find out that someone would actually betray the interest of God. 
We, we don't have to get out of the third book of Genesis to find that. I mean, just think about that. Wouldn't it be great if we at least had 10 chapters of them doing right? Them, you know, kind of frolicking in the garden and eating of all the fruit and just kind of having a good time? No. The beginning of Genesis 3. They find a way to mess it up. At the beginning of it. They made a choice. How come God didn't stop it then? How come God didn't think to himself, you know what? You know, this whole choice thing, it doesn't work out that well. So I'm going to just fix it so that no one does it again. No, again, he has to give us a choice or is it truly fidelity? I've been married to the same beautiful woman for 18 years. She's half Jamaican, half Bahamian, super fine in all mine. (laughs) If the only reason why I was with her is because I was scared she was going to kill me, (laughs) it's not my idea of marital bliss. If you're sitting next to your spouse and you feel that way, keep your head straight, but just wink at me. Nobody wants to be in a relationship under those circumstances. And here we have this man, Judas, doomed to destruction. And it seems as if God chose this one guy to not have a choice in the matter. Well, there's some things that kind of unfold in this uh, that give me a different perspective that I've never had in 21 years reading about Judas and understanding what he does to the Savior. I have never heard a sermon preached on it until the 9 a.m. service when I preached on it. Um, (laughs) So here we are again talking about the same thing, and there's a tension that lies here. Because the sovereign God who knows and sees all also knows and watches all. If you know it's going to happen, why won't you stop it? And if you're not going to stop it, why'd you let it happen? There's a tension that rests between these two things. There's three things that I want to share with you about Judas that I think uh, will kind of help you too are, are some things that, that, I, that I think all of us, uh, uh, along with Judas, uh, are experiencing right now. And the third thing is actually what he does. It speaks to the betrayal. Uh, but the first thing uh, I want you to write down if you're taking notes, and you should take notes because nerds rule the world. <laughs> so good note takers wind up running stuff. If you don't believe me, pull out your cell phone. That was built by a nerd and they run you. (laughs) Point number one, Judas knew Jesus. Judas knew Jesus. See, here's the funny thing about betrayal. Betrayal actually can't uh, be accomplished 
by a stranger. I don't know you enough. I don't have enough empirical data. We haven't shared a meal. We haven't been around each other. And so, so, so if you turn on me, uh, uh, I don't expect anything more from you because there, there hasn't been any relational equity developed. This wasn't the case with Judas. Judas knew Jesus. He wasn't on the once a week mentorship program. He did not meet with Jesus over a cup of coffee once a, week and, once a week and called that discipleship. Rather, he spent time with Jesus morning, noon, and evening, day in, day out, intimately involved in the rhythm of Jesus's life. The beauty of the mundane that I call it. The getting up in the morning and sharing a breakfast, the walking to the corner store, the, 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 the teachings that would come out of mere conversation. He got into the rhythm of Jesus's life and he began to understand and to know everything that he thought he was supposed to know about Jesus. He knew Jesus. He knew where Jesus was going to go pray. He knew where his favorite restaurant was. He, he, he knew uh, things that would get on his nerves. He knew probably when he would take his naps. He knew Jesus. I want to know Jesus. In that same rhythm of life, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I hope this doesn't bother anybody like Judas did. I want to know him. I want to spend time with him. I want to get to know his rhythm so well that I know when he speaks, I should listen. And when he's silent, it doesn't mean he's ignoring me. I, I, I want the same rhythm of life with Jesus that Judas had. What's uncomfortable for me today is that I actually feel like I'm Judas's defense attorney. It's a very, very uncomfortable position to be in because uh, I feel like I'm defending a person who, who we have historically just frowned upon because he betrayed Jesus. But with points number one and point number two, they're identical to the experience that we want to have. Is anybody like me? You want to know Jesus more? You want to have a closer relationship with him? You would love to know the rhythm of his life within yours to where you are walking so closely together that, that, that you're like John the Beloved, where you know when he's about to speak because your head is upon his chest and you can literally pick up on the heartbeat of God. Judas knew Jesus. Point number two, Judas served Jesus. It's not just that he knew Jesus, but he served Jesus. And it's not just that he served Jesus, it's what he, allowed, what he was allowed to do through Jesus' authority that is absolutely mind-blowing to me. It'd be one thing to know him, and at a distance you go, go, Jesus, you're awesome. Heal him again, Jesus, you're amazing. Heal the sick, Jesus, you are so awesome. I want to be like you one day. But Jesus actually invites his disciples in 
And he says to them, the same thing that I can do, you can do. And when I go away, you're going to do actually greater things than I'm doing now. It's not just that he knew him, it's that he served him. It's not just that he served him, but he was doing things that the Savior was doing. Judas had already gone out with the other disciples and healed the sick. He had gone out with the other disciples and seen demons cast out. Judas not only took up the rhythm of his life, but he also took up some of his authority. And with that authority, he was able to do some incredible things. Which brings the point of number three to a baffling crescendo that Judas betrayed Jesus. How? Like, how? No, for real. How do you know a guy like Judas knew this guy? And how? How do you serve a guy like Judas served this guy and then completely blank out and choose to betray this guy? Like, you've seen him raise the dead. That happens every day. You see him heal the sick. You, you see bread and fish continue to come out of his hands in an endless supply until everyone is full. You gather baskets of bread that are left over. You see him walking on water. He has continuously told you that, that he would have to die for the sins of the world. And he has also cautiously reminded the disciples that one of you is a devil and you're going to betray me. Is it a prophecy or a warning? Is it Jesus saying you're going to do this or I'm warning you, change your heart so you don't do this? This is the tension that the guy have a choice. In our country, uh, the 1960s was full of assassinations. You could argue and debate which one left the most lingering sting. But recently, uh, the president of our country has uh, mandated that the remaining documents surrounding John F. Kennedy's assassination be released. The shot heard round 
the world. Was it a conspiracy? Who was in on it? Was there more than one shooter? We must know why would this happen to such a great leader in the 1960s. Everybody wants to know. Because it was a shot heard around the world. Well, if that was the shot heard around the world, then Judas's betrayal of Jesus is the shot heard around eternity. It's because of who he betrayed that it gets such a huge distinction in the scriptures. But we keep coming back to this question did he have a choice? I don't know what spectrum on the theological curve you uh, fall, but I believe that Judas did. And here's where I feel like it becomes a cautionary tale for all of us, because remember, the first two out of three things in my points are things like Judas we want to do with Jesus. We want to know Jesus like Judas knew him, and we want to serve Jesus like Judas served him, but we dare not betray Jesus like Judas betrayed him. Yet, if we are not cautious, we may wind up just like Judas. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, it's easy to become like Judas because it all depends on how you get to know your Savior and why you choose to serve him. See, I believe that Judas fell into the choice of betrayal because he was disappointed in the revelation of Jesus' true intentions in his earthly ministry. Judas goes into the relationship and what he's hoping is that, that, that knowing Jesus would allow him to become close enough to him that in Judas's mind, when he overthrows the Roman Empire and establishes Israel again, that he will be one of the ones that can, that can help the revolution along. And Jesus doesn't quite want to do the same thing Judas wants. I'm going to serve this man, and he's given me some power and authority, and, and surely if we're healing the sick and, and, and casting out demons, then we could probably kill a bunch of Romans too. That sounds like a great deal. We can leave this oppression, and we can finally be free, and Jesus starts talking about his kingdom in a completely different way than Judas anticipated. And I really do feel like the amalgamation of the disappointment in the person I thought I knew as my leader and the disappointment of the person I thought I was serving leads to an open door. An open door that causes us to have to make a decision. Eve made the same decision in the garden. Adam made the same decision in the garden. Cain makes the decision Prior to the murder of his brother, God actually comes to him and says, why has your countenance fallen? If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. But if not, watch out. 
Sin is creeping at the door and it's looking for an opportunity to overtake you. If you are not careful and the sun goes down on your wrath, you will leave an open door to the enemy and all bets are off on your fidelity when you leave an open door to the enemy. Some people would say that Judas didn't have a choice. I cannot, in my mind, bring myself to this conclusion because of what is written in Romans chapter number eight. For those he foreknew, he predestined, and those he predestined, he justified, and those uh, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. I'm a very sequential person. I was going to be a homicide detective before God called me into the ministry, and so I'm still investigating after all of these years. Uh, And uh, if I'm going through the sequence properly, then uh, foreknowledge comes before predestination, which means God in his sovereignty, who is alpha and omega, beginning and the end, the first and the last, knows everything. And based on what he knows, he predestines. And based on what he predestines, he calls. And based on what he calls, he justifies. And who he justifies, he glorifies. It's not just that he fixes predestination. It's that he knows before. Anybody in here have children? Anybody? A few people? Okay. Um, anybody in here know your kids pretty well? Beside me? Okay. Uh, if, if somebody walked in right now and said, um, uh, one of your kids, if you have more than one, one of your kids, if you have one kid, it's real easy, but if you have more than one kid, hey, one of your kids uh, just broke a dish on the floor and ran away. Based on the empirical data that you know, you would go, that's Billy. Tommy would never do that. (laughs) Billy would. Did you fix it that Billy would break the dish? Or based on what you know about your kid, you know which one is more predisposed. It's not that Tommy couldn't. It's just that it's not in him to really break dishes and run away. Tommy breaks a dish and then laments about it. I'm so sorry I broke the dish. You kind of know your kids. You kind of know based on their behavior and their attitude and how you've seen them grow up, who would be more likely to do this and who would be more likely to do that. If you can come to those conclusions in your limited, finite mind, I think God, who created all of us, kind of knows his kids. It's not that he fixed Judas to betray Jesus. He just knew he would. The disappointment leads him to this action, and this action leads him to this disconnection from his God. Here's the cautionary tale for all of us. Don't be Judas. Know Jesus? Yes. Serve Jesus? Yes. Don't betray Jesus. Don't allow how you think life should go based on your service to him dictate your fidelity 
to him. Because based on what you know about your God and what you have done in service to your God, if you're not careful, if things don't go your way, you will step back from that relationship with God and you could wind up in the same space as Judas. I don't know if anybody's ever asked a question, but what's the difference between Peter and Judas? Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times as many times as Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. Yet, Peter makes it, and Judas doesn't. You think God fixed that, or was there a choice? I think Peter made a choice. I mean, just think if it was reversed, this might be J and G's. I'll wait for you to get it. The difference between Peter denying and Judas betraying is that Peter chose to, came back, to come back and Judas didn't. What's interesting is that Peter felt remorse for what he did and it brings him back. Judas, if you read scripture, also feels remorse for what he did, but instead of coming back to the one he betrayed, like Peter did, and coming back to the one he denied, he takes matters into his own hands and he takes his life in a moment of remorse instead of accepting that Jesus would give his life for every wrongdoing that he had ever committed. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that if you think that, G, that Judas could have betrayed Jesus and could not repent, it would be difficult for me to understand a God like that. But he does give us a choice. And I would rather fall on the side of Peter when I make a mistake than to fall on the side of Judas. I think one thing to consider is that maybe Judas's pride prevented him from being able to come back and face the one he betrayed. Sometimes it's our own pride that prevents us to coming to coming back to the Father and saying, "I'm so sorry." but I blew it. I'm going to take matters into my own hands and you know what? I'm going to pay you back for how I offended you or I'm, I'm, you know what I'll do? I'll put myself on punishment. Lord, I believe I should be on punishment for six months. I've failed you and I won't come to church for three weeks because I don't think the church needs me. But the fourth week I will rise again <laughs> and I feel like I would have satisfied my penance to you. No, no, no. We must accept this efficacious blood that was shed on the cross for our sins, knowing wholly that there is nothing that we could do 
to earn the right to be in God's presence except receive the sacrifice that Jesus so freely gave to bring us back into right standing with God. So what choice will you make today? You know him. You serve him. Let's not betray him.